You're listening to In Spirit and Truth, the radio ministry of Pastor J.D. Barag of Calvary Chapel, Kaneohe. Pastor J.D. is currently teaching through the book of Psalms. What does it mean to confess sin? Is it just a, a vocalizing of the sin? Yes, but there's more to it than that. It's a confession, even a profession, that my sin is sin. Why do I say it like that? Because oftentimes we're prone to kind of recategorize sin and call it something else. A mistake. No. Let's call sin. Let's call it what it is. David was plagued by some sin he had committed against God and was weighed down heavily by a sense of his guilt and failure. In both physical and spiritual anguish, he cried out to God for forgiveness and received mercy. In today's message, Pastor J.D. will plead with you to take your failures to God with a broken and repentant heart. Now, be sure to stay with us after today's message to hear how you can get your own copy of today's broadcast. Subscribe to the In Spirit and Truth podcast or download the In Spirit and Truth iPhone or Android mobile app. Now, here's Pastor J.D. in Psalms chapter 38 with today's edition of In Spirit and Truth. Verse 1, Psalm 38. Now, this is a psalm of David to bring to remembrance. O Lord, do not rebuke me in your wrath, nor chasten me in your hot displeasure. For your arrows pierce me deeply, and your hand presses me down. There is no soundness in my flesh because of your anger, nor any health in my bones because of my sin. For my iniquities have gone over my head like a heavy burden. They are too heavy for me. Clearly David is being crushed under the weight of his sin before God and against God. Verse 5, there's this uh, mention now of some sort of a physical malady and even disease or illness that he's now referring to. He says, verse 5, My wounds are foul and festering because of my foolishness. The thought here is, is that his sin has brought about some sort of a a disease. Verse 6, I am troubled. I am bowed down greatly. I go mourning all the day long, for my loins are full of inflammation, and there is no soundness in my flesh. I am feeble and severely broken. I groan because of the turmoil of my heart. Lord, verse 9, All my desire is before you, and my sighing is not hidden from you. My heart pants, my strength fails me. As for the light of my eyes, it also has gone from me. You know, a psalm like this is a reminder of how it is that sin affects us in profound and powerful ways physically, emotionally, and psychologically, and just the emotional toll that it tasks can manifest itself physiologically with such uh, problems. 
uh, in our bodies, in our minds. And this is clearly what David is expressing here. It's so bad, he says, verse 11, my loved ones and my friends stand aloof from my plague and my relatives stand afar off. Those also, verse 12, who seek my life lay snares for me. Those who seek my hurt speak of destruction and plan deception all the day long. And verse 13 is interesting. He says, but I, like a deaf man, do not hear. And I am like a mute who does not open his mouth. Thus, I am like a man who does not hear and whose mouth, in whose mouth is no response. For in you, O Lord, he's going to explain why that is. I hope you will hear, O Lord my God. For I said, hear me lest they rejoice over me, lest when my foot slips, they exalt themselves against me. For I am ready to fall, and my sorrow is continually before me. For I will declare my iniquity. I will be in anguish over my sin. This is a a godly sorrow and remorse and even regret. But, verse 19, My enemies are vigorous, and they are strong. And those who hate me wrongfully have multiplied. Those also who render evil for good, they are my adversaries because I follow what is good. Do not forsake me, O Lord. O my God, be not far from me. Make haste to help me, O Lord. My salvation. So Psalm 38 is another one of those penitential psalms as they're known. There's a total of seven of them and this is one of them. And what's interesting about this psalm in particular is that David is giving voice to very eloquently and I'll add even passionately his great sorrow for his great sin. Again, this is a godly sorrow like that which the Apostle Paul writes about to the Corinthian church. There's two kinds of sorrows. There's the sorrow of being caught, and then there's the godly sorrow that leads to a genuine repentance. And certainly this is the sorrow that David has in his repentance. And what really stands out to me is that his suffering has to do, even though he's suffering physically, he's suffering emotionally, all due to his sin. He brought this on himself and he knows it. And he's suffering because of it. But the suffering from it does not compare with the suffering of losing the intimacy that he once enjoyed with the Lord. You have to know this about David, and I know that you know what I'm talking about when I say this. But sin always separates us from God. And when we're walking in obedience, there's this intimacy that comes packaged with it. When we're so close to the Lord. And then we sin against God. And immediately comes in this this chasm, this separation from the Lord. And what David is lamenting here 
and suffering from here is that now he's lost that intimacy because of his great sin. I mean, certainly he's in physical agony. But it doesn't seem that the physical agony and even the emotional agony rises to the level of this lost intimacy with the Lord. You know, this is one of those Psalms too where you're reading, you just think, oh my goodness. I mean, could it be any worse? I mean, his enemies are piling on, and we're going to see that again here shortly. I mean, they know he's down. It's that old adage that they're kicking a man when he's down. And he's praying and he's pleading with God, please, Lord, do something about this. You know my heart. You know I'm sorry. You know that I'm repenting. Please, oh Lord. Don't remain afar off from me because of my sin. Well, here's the good news. And thankfully, David has only to repent in order to restore this intimacy with the Lord. And this without delay in spite of the lie of the enemy to the contrary. And I need to explain what I mean by this. This is one of the greatest lies from the father of lies, the devil himself. If you were to ask me what I thought was one of his most successful lies, this would certainly have to be it. It's that of believing that forgiveness and mercy is not instantaneous when we repent and confess. And nothing could be further from the truth. You have to understand that that's exactly his strategy from the beginning. That's what he intends to do. When he tempts to sin, he comes in and says something to this effect. Oh, you can just ask for forgiveness. God will forgive you. And then after you do it, oh my goodness, he's right there. Whoa, I can't believe you did that. I wouldn't keep my distance from God if I were you. I mean, surely God's not going to be that quick to forgive that one again. You don't think that, do you? That's a lie. Because you have to understand that Satan's strategy shifts and changes dramatically once we get saved. See, prior to us coming to a saving knowledge of Jesus Christ, he'll do everything and stop at nothing to keep us from Christ. Then we come to Christ and he changes his strategy. And now that we've come to Christ, he'll do everything he can to distance us from Christ. And this is what he does. I think about what the apostle Paul wrote again to the Corinthian church about being ignorant of Satan's devices. I like the King James, uh, the wiles of the devil, the wiles. That's not a word we use much anymore. The tactics, the the strategies, the devices that Satan uses when he attacks us. They're, They're all geared, if you strip all the layers from all of the temptation and all of the lies of the enemy, at the core what you'll find is that he is all about getting us away from the Lord. He doesn't want us enjoying that intimacy with the Lord. It also affects our prayer life. Our prayer life all of a sudden now is, the whole complexion of it is changed. And that's the other thing that Satan is all about doing. 
He knows that he is a defeated foe when a Christian prays. So he will do everything he can to keep a Christian from praying. By the way, that explains why it is that when you set your heart to pray, I mean all H-E double toothpicks breaks loose, right? The phone rings, it's always the wrong number. <laughs> all of a sudden a bunch of emails, you know, come in, a text message or 12, you know, come in. And, and the kids start fighting, and I mean, everything just starts happening. you got to know that's the enemy, because he wants to keep you from praying. Because there's nothing that he fears more than a Christian who prays. So he'll do everything he can. And if he can rob us of our intimacy with the Lord, then that will also rob us of our prayer to the Lord. Jesus said that the enemy comes to steal kill and destroy and certainly he has succeeded with David the sweet psalmist of Israel in getting him to sin and now here comes the repentance I think the takeaway from Psalm 38 is simply this when we confess our sins 1 John 1 9 he is faithful and just to forgive us and it's instant Never imagine for a moment that God is in heaven going, you know what, I'm going to take a couple days on this one. That'll never happen. That's not who he is. The forgiveness is instantaneous. He waits at the ready. And as soon as we confess, forgiveness is given instantly. Proverbs 28:13 basically says this. This is a, a paraphrase. That the one who tries to cover up his sin, refuses to confess his sin, will not prosper, will not be blessed. Conversely, the one who confesses and forsakes will find mercy. You know, in your prayers, when you ask God for mercy, (laughs) that's one of those conditional promises of sorts. When you confess the sin and there's a godly sorrow that leads to a genuine repentance, That's what David's doing here. You confess that. What does it mean to confess sin? Is it just a a vocalizing of the sin? Yes, but there's more to it than that. It's a confession, even a profession, that my sin is sin. Why do I say it like that? Because oftentimes we're prone to kind of recategorize sin and call it something else. A mistake. No, that's called sin. Let's call it what it is. It's sin. Because if if we're going to take it out from underneath the categorization of sin, then so too do we take it out from underneath the umbrella of God's forgiveness. If we're going to call it something other than sin, and God forgives sin, oh, it's just a mistake. You know, I was thinking about this how clever, how cunning Satan is. So we don't call it adultery anymore. We call it an affair. Oh, oh, it was an affair. It was adultery. That's sin, I know. An affair. Oh, that's an affair. It's an affair. No, it's sin. It's sin. How about this one? You know, I'm just struggling with this issue. Issue? 
Oh, it's an issue. Is this an issue? No, it's not an issue. It's sin. That's the issue. It's sin. Call it sin. Confess it as sin. I confess, Lord, this is sin. That's what confession of sin means. It's an agreement with God that what you have done is a sin before God. And as we talked about last week, and we mentioned it again on Sunday, to sin means to miss the mark. Different than transgression. And David delineates between iniquity, transgression, and sin. Sin is an archery term. It's to miss the bullseye. It's to fall short and miss the mark. So if a, uh, an archer uh, took his bow and arrow and he missed the mark, he'd say, you sinned. You missed the mark. A transgression is a deliberate and willful disobedience of God's law. You've transgressed the law. In other words, you knew it was wrong. You knew it was sin, but you did it anyway. That's what the transgression means. And what David is doing here is he is repenting of his sin and transgression against God and his iniquity before God. Psalm 39. It gets worse. (laughs) Just a warning. It'll get better before the end of the night. This is to the chief musician, to Jeduthun, if I'm pronouncing the name right. It's a psalm of David. Verse 1. I said, I will guard my ways, lest I sin with my tongue. Oh, kind of reminds me of what James said about the tongue, that we can control these great ocean liners with small rudders. We can tame wild beasts, but we cannot tame this tongue. He says, lest I sin with my tongue, I will restrain my mouth with a muzzle, (laughs) while the wicked are before me. I was mute with silence. I held my peace, even from good, and my sorrow was stirred up. My heart, verse 3, was hot within me while I was musing. The fire burned. Then I spoke with my tongue, Lord, make me to know my end. And what is the measure of my days that I may know how frail I am? Indeed, verse 5, you have made my days as handbreadths. And my age is as nothing before you. Certainly every man at his best state is but vapor. Selah. Again, James writes about how our lives here in this world are but a vapor. Here today, gone tomorrow. Life is short. And that's what David is giving voice to here. I was thinking about this the other day that there are more years behind me than there are now in front of me. And uh, August 14th, which was Tuesday, was the 24-year anniversary of when my dad died. And I was thinking about how at my age, how close I am to his age when he died. Kind of puts it into perspective about how short life can be. 
And it is, a, I think, a good reminder for us because it also provides us with perspective as to the length of our days. Verse 6, Surely every man walks about like a shadow. Surely they busy themselves in vain. He heaps up riches and does not know who will gather them. This is reminiscent of what David's son Solomon would write and have recorded in the book of Ecclesiastes about how it is that all is vanity. It's, it's all vain, the, the, the vanity of riches. And, he, and here's a man that accumulates great and vast wealth, and then he dies. And then he leaves it to another who cannot steward or manage the wealth that he has been left with and given. Verse 7, And now, Lord, what do I wait for? Answer, my hope is in you. Deliver me from all my, and here's that word, transgressions. Do not make me the reproach of the foolish. And he says it again, verse 9, I was mute. I did not open my mouth. I'm keeping my mouth shut. (laughs) Because it was you who did it. Remove your plague from me. I am consumed by the blow of your hand. This is chastisement. And the writer of Hebrews reminds us that we're not to despise it when we are chastised by the Lord because the Lord chastises those whom he loves. In fact, it is the marker by which we know that we are his children. And it carries with it this idea of we would never discipline or spank somebody else's children. We would spank and discipline and chastise and correct our own children. This is evidence that David is a child of God. And so too is it evidence that we are children of God when we are chastised. And this is what is happening. The heavy chastising hand of God is upon him. Verse 11. When with rebukes you correct man for iniquity. You make his beauty melt away like a moth. Surely every man is vapor, selah. Again, selah means stop, consider, meditate, refrain. Verse 12, he cries out to God. And you could just hear the cry. And in the previous Psalm, Psalm 38, you just kind of read past it. But he says something very interesting. He says, I'm sighing all day. You know how it is when you're you're just really groaning and it's kind of a, a sighing. It's like a the heavy hand of God is upon me. There's a lot to learn from the book of Psalms and we're so glad you've joined us to sift through it all with Pastor J.D. Farag on In Spirit and Truth. The range of emotions expressed in the pages we've been studying give us an accurate and beautiful picture of our Heavenly Father, the almighty and loving creator of the world. Before we end our time with you today, we'd like to share how you can access more of these messages right now. Simply visit InSpiritAndTruthRadio.com and click on Listen to search through our archive of Pastor J.D.'s teachings. 
You can even take these messages with you on the go with our mobile app. Find a link to our app on our website or search for In Spirit and Truth in your app store. This will provide you with hours of insight into the Bible, helpful links, and access to the latest editions of Pastor J.D.'s Mideast Prophecy Update. In these updates, Pastor J.D. takes a critical look at the news and events happening around the globe and compares them to the prophecies of the Bible, sharing God's views on what's taking place. These messages are new each weekend and will help you put world events into an eternal perspective. These Mideast Prophecy Updates are also available to watch on our YouTube channel, which you can access through our website. Again, that address is inspiritandtruthradio.com. Thanks for taking the time to listen to God's Word today. We pray it's blessed and encouraged you greatly. Pastor J.D. will continue studying through the book of Psalms when you join us next time, right here on In Spirit and Truth.